Welcome to CPAC Today in Politics. Coming up, ahead of an important meeting of world leaders today, Canada prepares more aid for Ukraine. We're there for humanitarian support, we're there for refugee support, we're there uh, for economic support of uh, the Ukrainian state. We're going to continue to stand strongly every single day to demonstrate that Putin made a terrible mistake with his choice to invade Ukraine. Anita Anand says there's a strong argument to be made that Russian actions in Ukraine amount to genocide. Unspeakable acts of violence carried out against innocent civilians and of despicable acts and attacks on schools, apartment buildings, train stations in Kyiv, Kharkiv, Busha, Mariupol and of tragic desperation. And can Pierre Poiliev's popularity on the leadership campaign trail translate into a win? While it's true crowds don't decide whether you win, you can't ignore the fact in this day and age, post-pandemic, when a bunch of people want to gather in a room, you have to watch what's going on there. It's Tuesday, April 19th. I'm Mark Sutcliffe. Let's get right to the top political stories this morning. I'm joined by Susan Delacorte, columnist for the Toronto Star. Good morning, Susan. Good morning, Mark. Let's talk about Canada helping Ukraine. And and through the course of this crisis, since Russia invaded Ukraine going back weeks now, uh, Canada has offered a series of measures and funding to support Ukraine. The, the government's talking about offering more help now as as this battle continues. Uh, so what's the latest on this and what's what's your perspective on what Canada is doing overall to help? There, there's the, the military side of this and the political side of it, and then there's the aid side of it. Yeah, this is one of those questions that is getting increasingly complicated and interconnected as the war goes on. And we were seeing last night that the war is getting um, more intense in many ways with Russia moving from the east. So there is a a measure of urgency. You've got the prime minister participating today in a meeting that that Joe Biden is hosting with European leaders, NATO, and all all of these questions about how to stop this. From the beginning, Canada has said two things, just like the rest of it, that it will work in concert with allies, and that's what you're seeing today. So one assumes that that anything that Canada is doing today is going to be part of a, 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 a concentrated and coordinated plan. And the other thing it has said, and Joe Biden has said as well, too, is NATO really wants to avoid getting into World War Three, but... As you're seeing fighting intensifying in the East this morning, and as you see all these European leaders and NATO leaders meeting, it feels like things are moving into another stage now. So yeah. what can Canada do? Um, it can contribute more more uh, military aid. Some of that was uh, discussed in the budget. I'm, it's not sure how much we have to contribute at this very moment. Also, there's the, the question of, of refugees and whether we take them here or not. And we, we have said that it's unlimited, but there's a large question mark hanging over how many people want to come this far and how many want to make that permanent. There's still lots of, of refugees who believe that they're, they're going to get to go home 
when all of this is over as well, too, that this is th- these are refugees unlike others that um, who really believe they didn't want to come and live here. They want to go back home. So all of that is uh, is in the mix today. But I think the big thing that's happening is this meeting that Joe Biden is holding and and what the questions are there. Yeah. So what what do you expect from that meeting? What what are the potential outcomes that the, these leaders have been have been in touch pretty regularly uh, through this crisis? Um, and as you say, there there's been a very fine line that has been walked between wanting to help Ukraine, but also not provoke a much broader conflict. So what happens next? Well, this is Russia was making some uh, dark threats on the weekend, saying that it would regard it would uh, that U.S. aid, U.S. aid in particular to Ukraine, might have unpredictable consequences. And everybody is is thinking the unspoken thing is nuclear. Unspoken is uh, is would Russia use nuclear weapons in some form or another? I think that's that's going to be whether the leaders discuss that in the open. You don't discuss military strategies in the open, but but what does NATO and uh, the rest of Europe do if if Putin moves to using nuclear weapons? Yeah. So I I, I guess what I'm expecting from this meeting, not so much of the details, but what is. If it is agreed, and the military experts seem to say this, that we are moving into another stage of this war, what does the European and NATO response look like to this this new stage? And are we, for all intents and purposes, already in what looks like a, a war, Russia against the world, and we are now defining the shape of that? Right. Anita Anand, the defense minister, uh, commented on the weekend that um, that she thought the word genocide was relevant to what's happening in Ukraine. And this is this is a question that is getting asked of a lot of leaders now about whether they feel the word applies. Um, uh, and she said she does think it applies, um, which is something that the prime minister has has alluded to as well. And other world leaders have. Uh, what do you think about that? We've talked about this before. I think it's it's probably it's very useful discussion in the abstract. But what does it solve? You know that if if um, it is not in the end national political leaders who decide whether Putin has committed and Russia has committed genocide and war crimes, it is going to be the International Court of Justice. And does that solve or fix anything right now? There is. You know the UN, the the duty to protect. This is again the question of if this is going on, and if if there is an emerging view that what is going on in, and I think it's it's, it's sort of it's kind of obvious that yeah, no longer in dispute. Are, yeah, yeah, war crimes are being committed. But what does that solve right now? I think everybody's got to keep their eye on the practical question here too. Is you know. When people are dying, legally or illegally, they're still dying. And what are we going to do about it? So that's that's sort of the question that that hangs over me when I watch this abstract discussion among world leaders about about the nature of what is going on in Ukraine. It's it's not that that may be a fine question to ask when it's all over, but I want to know what it solves right now. Hmm. 
And I think Zelensky the, uh, has been saying this as well, too, is I can, I can tell you what's happening there right now. It's what are we going to do to stop it? Yeah. All right, Susan, let's turn to the conservative leadership race. And and I think the big question everybody's asking right now is, is can anyone catch Pierre Poiliev? Um, Jean Chaudet and Patrick Brown in particular have been going on the attack against Poiliev, citing him in many of their speeches and social media posts. And Poiliev continues to attract big crowds. There are debates over how relevant that is. It's it's a pretty good strategy uh, because he seems to be picking places where there will be a huge turnout and and people are commenting that these are crowds they've never seen before in a leadership race. Um, people are wondering, does does this mean he's the runaway favorite now or or is there something else going on in terms of the membership race, which is ultimately what will decide this? So what are your observations about where we stand in the leadership race? It seems to me that the race is taking the shape that we always did think it was. And it had become a cliche even before the race to say, this is going to determine the future of the Conservative Party. But I think those three leaders you've mentioned are starting to organize around this idea of what is the future of the Conservative Party. Follow up, those crowds are real. I wrote last week, it's a little bit of mischief, but uh, intending to be. I remember the same things being said about a guy named Justin Trudeau, who was attracting big crowds and had funneled into the protest movements of the time, which were um, Occupy Wall Street and Idle No More, was feeding into his. And Pierre Polyev is following much of the same playbook, feed into the protest movements against the government and, and build a, a movement that way. So there's that view of the Conservative Party. It is, uh, it is largely formed on protest. It is tapped into um, a, a sense of anxiety and, and unease, and Polyev seems to own that in ways that are unpredictable and fascinating. And I think we're all going to be watching those crowds because while it's true crowds don't decide whether you win, you can't ignore the fact in this day and age, post-pandemic, when a bunch of people want to gather in a room, you have to watch what's going on there. Then yeah. there's Jean Charest, who represents and has decided quite forcefully, I think, in the last week to identify a totally different view of conservatism and and made the convoy protests part of the, the debate, which I thought was interesting. Risky, but he basically said that if Pierre Polyev is, you know, continues to sort of tap into that convoy movement. He's not fit to be prime minister because the convoy itself was uh, illegal and featured many illegal acts. That's going to annoy a lot of those crowds that are showing up at Polyev's rallies. So that's that's more of the traditional progressive conservative idea of, you know, very rules-based conservative in the big C and small C way. That's what Jean Charest is articulating there by, by making the convoy protest a wedge issue. And then there's Patrick Brown, who seems to be doing, he's fighting a membership battle, and he is doing it in the way that Jason Kenney, you saw a, a Jason Kenney doing in past days, which is yeah. conservatives looking for non-voters, non-traditional voters among the cultural and ethnic communities. And Patrick Brown has perfected that over a couple of uh, experiences he's had, including leader of the provincial conservative party. So those are the three 
the three views of conservatism that are emerging in this race. There's the Jean Charest traditional, there's the Patrick Brown extend to new people and non-voters, and then there's the Pierre Polyev um, flirting with that unpredictable, some have compared it to Trump, certainly the um, uh, the protest kind of conservatism. And I, I think, you know, it's choose your own adventure for the Conservative Party at this moment. All right. Susan, great to have your thoughts on all of this today. Thank you for joining us. Thanks, Mark. That's Susan Delacourt, columnist for the Toronto Star. We, as uh, democratic countries, as NATO, uh, stood up with some of the strongest economic sanctions uh, that anyone had ever seen. Now, here's what political columnists and commentators are writing about today. In the Toronto Star, Alexei Minikov argues sanctions on Russia can't be lifted, even in the event of a truce. Minikov writes, When the resources of the Russian army are exhausted, Putin may temporarily freeze the conflict. In exchange for de-escalation, Russia will actively demand the lifting of sanctions. It will be a defining moment in the policy of sanctions. If sanctions are eased, Russia will have the strength to lick its wounds and attack Ukraine again later. The lifting of sanctions must only occur when Russia not only ends the war, but also returns all the occupied territories to Ukraine and pays financial compensation for the destroyed infrastructure. It is a fair and clear condition. In Burnaby Now, Keith Baldry asks if the Conservative Party can remain intact. Baldry writes... While party leadership races can often feature bruising, bitter internal battles, the leadership contest the Conservatives are mired in seems particularly nasty. It's been filled with the kind of heated rhetoric that makes one wonder whether some of the main contestants and their supporters can stand to be in the same room. The party was splintered before the race even began, and one has to assume the internal divisions are much deeper now, given the nasty vitriol and scorched-earth approach dominating any discussion. In The Hill Times, Michael Harris argues Pierre Poiliev is banking on Stephen Harper's popularity. Harris writes, Poiliev knows that the shortest route to winning the leadership is to sanctify everything his former boss Stephen Harper ever did. That's why he spit venom at leadership rival Patrick Brown, who dared to criticize the Harper government for its anti-immigrant policies. But here is the problem. Winning the party leadership is a sideshow, not the main event. And every time the Conservative Party has reached back into the Harper era for a new leader, it has lost at the box office. Andrew Scheer and Aaron O'Toole played to and won the same crowd as Poiliev is courting, then face-planted in the federal elections they contested because they badly misread the country. Now, here's what's coming up on today's political agenda. The Prime Minister will participate in the meeting hosted by U.S. President Joe Biden, along with other NATO leaders, to discuss the war in Ukraine. The Prime Minister and New Brunswick's Minister of Social Development, Bruce Fitch, will make a long-term care announcement in Dalhousie, New Brunswick. Minister of Intergovernmental Affairs, Dominic LeBlanc, and Minister of Official Languages, Jeanette Petipa-Taylor, will also be in attendance. The Prime Minister will also visit a local daycare facility and meet with families to discuss early learning and childcare. Emergency Preparedness Minister Bill Blair will be in Kingston, Ontario, to speak about the budget. Public Safety Minister Marco Mendicino will speak about the budget in White Rock, B.C., Minister for Women, Marcy Ian, will speak about the budget in Scarborough, Ontario. Rural Economic Development Minister Goody Hutchings will be in Brandon, Manitoba. 
To speak about the budget, Transport Minister Omar Al-Gabra will make an announcement in Calgary. And Bloc Québécois leader Yves-François Blanchette will hold a news conference in Ottawa. And that's CPAC Today in Politics for Tuesday, April 19th. Tune in to Primetime Politics tonight on CPAC for coverage of all the day's events. Our podcast returns tomorrow morning. Have a great day.